welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. The microbiome. What is it? Where is the science now? Uh, what are the companies that are involved in the microbiome? Are they doing the right things? Are they safe? Are they effective? Are they credible? And what is the science behind some of the companies around the microbiome? That's what I'm talking about today. And today, this is another throwback episode. And I wanted to bring this in because I wanted to go back to a clip that I've been thinking about for a long time uh, with Thomas Gurry. He's the founder of Myota, which is a company in the microbiome space. But the reason that I'm speaking to Thomas on this episode is because he's a PhD computational biologist at MIT, or was a PhD computational scientist at MIT. So he knows his stuff. Now, there are a lot of companies that talk about the microbiome at the minute. That is undeniable. And I personally find it a little bit difficult to know who's saying the right things, who's saying things credibly, who's claiming versus overclaiming. I don't know enough about it. I don't know enough about the science. I don't know enough about the studies. And so the reason that I enjoyed talking to Thomas is because you'll hear in this clip, it, it starts with him talking broadly about the microbiome, the fact it should be part of immunology training now, the fact that it's such a huge part of the immune system and these are things we're learning, accepts the fact it's a frontier of medicine. Um, but actually talks about, you know, VCs potentially and other investors potentially being early kind of victims of the hype almost with the microbiome. There were claims around autism. There were huge raises in the space. It was, it was, it's quite difficult and strange, I think, for, for scientists to, to be in companies at the best of times, let alone amongst other companies that are perhaps overclaiming and uh, receiving lots of money for doing so. It's, um, it's difficult when, when, you're a, when you're a scientist and, and Thomas explains it. But the, the other reason I, I like this clip is because there's a science lesson in it. And uh, I'm not going to say much more than that, but the microbiome and, and eating fiber particularly, being so good for the microbiome, is all around reducing inflammation. Uh, it's around reducing symptoms of, of conditions like Alzheimer's disease because we know that people can have things called plaques in their brain, um, which would suggest Alzheimer's disease, but actually they don't have symptoms because their inflammation is low and things like that. But I'm not going to butcher the science anymore. Thomas is uh, an incredibly decorated, uh, as I say, PhD computational biologist from MIT. He can explain this better than me. Uh, enjoy this clip. I will see you on the other side. And, and you mentioned nutrition is kind of like the wild card here because like, it's not nutrition that we're talking about, but you end up at nutrition because of the problem that you need to exactly. solve and how you need to solve it. But I can even remember at medical school, like nutrition was like one third of one module that you just sort of did. And you got 30 questions at the end of the year and you had to get like 20 of them right, 10 of them right. And that was it. You got your, you'd, you'd passed your nutrition bit. It's never something we knew. Right. And it's getting longer and longer since I went to medical school. I'm sure it's different now. But the point remains though, that, the knowledge around fiber, microbiome, short-chain fatty acids, preventing the aggregation of plaques, that is all pretty deep science. But I mean, I'm going to say relatively new. You might tell me something different. But my question now becomes, 
of everything that you've just talked about, how much of that would you say is common knowledge? And when I say common knowledge, I mean, like, where where is the knowledge of the general public right now, do you think? Where's the knowledge of the scientists right now that's evidence-based, do you think? And Mm -hmm. it strikes me that we might be on the steep part of that curve because the microbiome is not a new word now. That that is around. That definitely is seeping into the consciousness of people. And definitely the the average person's knowledge particularly those that are you know the quantified self with all the wearables and all the all the stuff but also those that are pretty keen on nutrition right like people people know quite a lot about this stuff now um or certainly increasingly so so where do you think we are broadly when you think about everybody listening to this podcast we might have to bring some people up on a journey through this so like where are we now and where's the science yeah, it's a great question. I think um, that is that's the opportunity, by the way, for impact in general coming from academia or academic science is that the science is generally um, out of sync with right. the general population, and the ivory tower thinking means that you know people worry about grants and publishing papers and and trying to generate new impactful science but not necessarily translating that into the real world. And so that's where my answer comes from is that ultimately I think the state of microbiome science now is, you know, um, I think it's still an extremely exciting exploding field, but it's also um, there were, there was about a 10 year, 15 year period where people were just basically measuring the microbiomes of everything and writing papers about that, looking at correlations between things and, you can always find correlations, right? So that's the first um, problem that the field hit, which every field encounters at some point, big data in general. You know, correlation is not causation. And so you can find correlations between microbiome makeup and such a disease. But that doesn't tell you anything. It might be related. For example, some diseases change the way you eat, and that affects your microbiome. So maybe it's coming the other way around, you know? And um, these are, so that was the state of the field before. I think we've moved in in the science space to a state where people are really trying to understand the mechanisms. And that's hard. Then you're going away from systems science, like which is older age now, and certainly was when I was in, in graduate school. Um, to back to slightly more reductionist methods where you go, okay, there's something really going on in this system about this component. Let's study in isolation and then do lots of work in the lab and so on to really understand the mechanisms here. That I think is where the field is at, which is great because it means now that the proper rigor has been instated and we can really start to move forward on good things. So we're seeing really exciting things like new therapeutics at pharma grade therapeutics of like, you know, um, clinically effective probiotics that uh, that are, are drugs, not over-the-counter kind of probiotics that we that we see already and have seen for a long time. That I think is is happening right now in a real way, and that's extremely exciting. Um, but then, when it comes to the state of the general population's understanding, I think that there's still quite a lot of work to be done there. Though, like you say, I think we're on the steep part of that curve because people now know about the microbiome. Just about everyone's seen a documentary about it at some point and, uh, or read a book or something, maybe multiple. Some people know uh, an awful lot about it and have been in, sort of integrating it into their lives for quite some time now. Um, 
what uh, where I see a gap between the science and the general population is essentially understanding the uh, let's say clinical potential of different aspects of the microbiome. I think we see a lot of wild claims out there that people were capitalizing on for some time. Um, so quite a few companies spin out 10, 15 years ago and crash in spectacular fashions um, doing this kind of stuff. It's very, you know, cowboy-like behavior, really you know, distancing themselves from the science. And um, but by the way, when I was in academic research, that was a real source of bitterness amongst my colleagues, seeing mm -hmm. all this, you know, horrible bastardization of the science. Um, but that, that gap is closing now because I think that customers are becoming more um, educated about this stuff. And uh, they've seen too many claims of science-backed this and that. And ultimately, it's just another probiotic isolated from yogurt and just given a fancy spin. Um, so, so I think that that's the last bit that needs to happen is that we can't go from, you know, to, to, to exaggerate a little bit. We can't, we can't keep taking bacteria that have always been in our yogurts and saying they're going to cure autism and raising a hundred million dollars and doing some ads about this, you know, like, I think that that can't keep happening because it's really bad for, um, the field in general. And it, and it takes us away from something that is, there's a huge clinical vision for the microbiome. I think that it's, it's, you know, it should be chapter one of an immunology textbook. Now it's, it's how you train your immune system from birth. And like, it's, uh, it, it's super exciting in terms of impact on chronic disease and offers so many solutions, but we're not going to get to those solutions effectively. And in a, and in a rigorous manner, unless, you know, some of this hype gets done away with and the, the last piece there is that i think that you know um investors and people like uh, venture capital funds they they also you know were victims of that first wave of hype and i think they're much more savvy now so i believe that actually despite the struggles that the space has gone through in the last few years we're actually at a really exciting time where i think that in five or ten years we're going to see just you know much more interesting microbiome based solutions um and uh, not based on just correlating stuff on some data set that yeah. doesn't mean anything if you see yeah what I mean. yeah so tell me about the re your research specifically and start at the beginning for me in terms of fiber being turned into short chain fatty acids and how that relates to plaques, protein aggregation, neurodegeneration, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, because this, this is, this is, this is real, this is real exciting science. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So that is, uh, so there's still, you know, for the sake of uh, rigor, I have to say that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to connect those two pieces in a rigorous way. However, said every, said every scientist ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's the disclaimer that <laughs> that probably people uh, should be making more, and at the same time, Agreed. I make too much. But Agreed. at the same time, it's uh, it, so. But the the link is as follows. I mean. Um, short chain fatty acids and particularly butyrate, which is one of the three main ones, um, are, are highly anti-inflammatory. Butyrate actually is a key modulator of chronic levels of inflammation in the gut. And so, um, for example, people suffering from inflammatory bowel disease, it's been well established that they 
tend to suffer from a deficiency in butyrate production in their microbiome, um, which is one of the things that keeps them away from flares. So, uh, so butyrate is super critical in modulating inflammation. Now, it also circulates in the blood. And uh, short-chain fatty acids have a mechanism of action, uh, multiple actually, but that doesn't limit itself to the gut. Um, it can actually affect, theoretically, any cells because it's, they're actually gene expression uh, modulators through specifically histone deacetylase inhibition. But that's, a, that's maybe getting a bit technical. But the point is that circulating short-chain fatty acids potentially impact other parts of the body as well. And that would certainly make sense based on all the data we're seeing in the links. So uh, the gut inflammation thing in and of itself might be enough to cause a link between that and um, plaque deposition, which, you know, the, the key point is that neuroinflammation is actually the strongest correlate with um, cognitive decline rather than plaques. And neuroinflammation and plaques have some kind of complex relationship but the key point being that it seems that neuroinflammation is driving the symptoms that we're seeing in these diseases, right? And that's why people are now turning to things like prebiotics, which are ultimately forms of fiber that are fermented into short-chain fatty acids in a lot of cases, as an anti-inflammatory mediator to make sure that we can keep levels of inflammation as low as possible, not just in the gut, but systemically which ultimately should have impact on neuroinflammation. And that would theoretically slow the progression of disease. Because as we know, there are many patients that have a huge amount of plaques, but no symptoms. And, uh, and similarly, it's a, I guess the, num the amount of plaques don't correlate so well with uh, cognitive decline, whereas neuroinflammation certainly does. And so I think that's the super exciting link. And it turns out that inflammation is linked to so many other diseases, depression, anxiety, you know, even diabetes, but uh, inflammatory bowel disease, of course, arthritis. And so actually modulating inflammation through something as simple as fiber in the gut is a potentially extremely powerful approach to preventing these diseases or managing their progression. Um, I do want to just say, though, that like, Fiber here, I don't believe, unfortunately, yet there's not enough evidence that it's going to cure any of yeah. these conditions, right? But the key point is that it'll prevent them because it's lifestyle and diet ultimately that has often led to this chronic disease burden we have. And so I know the business models aren't established for prevention and reimbursement plans there aren't super good. And so pharma is never really interested in that. And I mean, what are you going to run a 40 year clinical trial? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's tough to tackle, but ultimately that's the solution. You know, uh, we need to be much more preventative in our approach and then of course manage the disease as it progresses and treat it and look for cures. Sure. But a key part is prevention. And I think that's where fiber and the microbiome are brilliant, you know? It's fascinating, isn't it, when you listen to a clip like that, because it makes me believe, or it makes me very, very aware that I went to medical school and I know so little about nutrition, full stop, let alone the microbiome which we're in now. So when I, when I listen to Thomas saying all those things, I can fully appreciate that the microbiome is a frontier of medicine, a frontier of medicine that some of the most, one of the most decorated scientists I've ever spoken to um, is quite comfortably claiming that we don't know much about it and much more needs to be done. And so it is, it's silly to assume that 
we know so much about the microbiome that we can make definitive claims about the microbiome. There are just certain things that we do know. And I'm pretty convinced after listening to Thomas and listening to, well, being part of that whole episode, fiber is a good thing. Short chain fatty acids are a good thing. Reducing inflammation is a good thing. And we know this from the science and I trust someone like Thomas with the science. I hope that by listening to this episode that you can appreciate that there's lots of different ways that technology comes into healthcare. It's interesting that something as, as, as valuable and as complex as that does not need to be regulated in the same way as, as a drug or a medical device. It's perhaps a bit of a loophole. It leaves space for bad actors, but it also leaves space for good actors like what Myota are doing. Um, machine learning used in the way that Thomas is using machine learning in order to determine what the best compounds and mixtures are um, that can provide the benefits of reduced inflammation, short chain fatty acids, um, you know, reducing symptoms of neurodegenerative diseases. Like it's an interesting use of machine learning to be in the background of that, to determine those things. It's similar, I guess, as, as a pharma company might use it in drug discovery, or I guess, it, I guess it is a, a similar way to using it as that, but, it's interesting to learn that there's many ways that we can do this. And we're seeing this with AI broadly as well. Like it doesn't have to be in a single place. It doesn't have to be patient facing. It doesn't have to be in diagnosis. There are so many places that we can use this technology and um, nutrition and food and this delivery of uh, what is essentially a drug, I guess. It's certainly as as effective and potent as powerful. I don't know if I can say that was an overclaim, but um, I'd like to believe that it will be uh, at least one day. I think that it's an incredibly exciting part of medicine, the microbiome. The more we learn, the more interesting it gets, the more that we can do. Um, I think it's an absolutely fascinating part of medicine. So uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this one. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content. 